0: to The Tenderness Revolution, a podcast about the stories of kindness, compassion and empathy that play out in our lives, because these deeply moving experiences describe what it means to be human, and invite us into a new way of thinking about the world and each other. I'm your host, writer and journalist Yvonne Gavin. In every episode, I'll be asking a new interviewee about a pivotal moment of tenderness that helped shape the course of their life. This interview is with the wonderful April Stearns. April was married with a three-year-old daughter and just 35 when she received the devastating news that she had breast cancer. Years later, having made a successful recovery following chemo and radiotherapy, April felt that her experience of cancer was still very much a part of her life, yet she struggled to find other young women who had gone through what she had. So she launched Wildfire, a successful magazine that describes itself as being about women too young for breast cancer a California native who loves nature and believes in storytelling as a form of healing. In this episode, April shares with us what it's like to work with other young women who've experienced the suffering and trauma that goes hand in hand with cancer. In this conversation, April spoke really openly and honestly about the realities of having sex after cancer, why listening to other people's stories is crucial for building empathy, the importance of humour when you're going through something tragic, the power of imagination in healing, and her moment of tenderness, which is both shocking and surprising, and actually describes something profound that's very relatable. I really think that even though this conversation is about something that might be difficult and uncomfortable to think about, It's important to feel our way into other people's experiences so that we can better understand the world. Because I think that place of understanding helps us to be more kind and have more empathy with others. If you enjoy this conversation, I'd really appreciate you leaving a little review or getting in touch. We always love hearing from you. I think April's experience in this interview is really inspiring. And I really hope that you do too. April, hi. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I'm really looking forward to our conversation.
1: Hi, Yvonne. I'm so glad to be here.
0: I am really glad that you're here too. And I can't wait to hear all about your your journey and all about the magazine that you write and, and put together Um, there's so much that I I really want to chat with you about but I want to start off um, as I always do by asking you to share your moment of tenderness with us. So the idea behind the Tenderness Revolution podcast is that essentially our lives are made up of all these little stories stitched together and when we shine a light on scenes where we felt a profound sense of connection to something bigger than ourselves. Moments where we felt seen or understood or that we had a deeper relationship to the world around us. It's as though we're awakened to greater meaning and purpose. So please do share your moment
1: with us. I'm so happy to talk about this and I almost already have goosebumps just thinking about it. Um, So my moment of tenderness happened When I was 17, it was September, and I was on my way to school. I, at that time, was going to a junior college, so the rest of my friends were um, in high school, but I had accelerated and was in a junior college, and I had a night class. So it was about 5 o'clock in the afternoon, and I was driving myself to my math class, And I lived at that time off of a mountain highway where, um, the speed limit was high. The shoulders were very narrow. It wasn't really the kind of road for walking along. However, on either side of the road were parks, hiking parks. And so sometimes people did end up walking along the side of the road. And so on this particular day, unfortunately, there was a couple walking in the road. And I came around a blind turn. And unfortunately I struck one of the walkers with my car. And that moment was a really devastating moment for everyone involved, obviously, but the moment of tenderness that I want to tell you about that came out of that was in the aftermath. And I was alone in the car that day. I was 17. As I said, I'd never obviously been in, um, a major car accident before. And I felt really alone. And as the um, emergency techs arrived, the ambulance, the fire truck, everyone arrived to care for the woman who, who the car had hit, I was off to the side. And I remember um, a woman coming to me with a blanket and wrapping it around me and just sitting with me and saying, it's going to be okay it's going to be all right. And she kind of shielded me from seeing the, um, the CPR that was taking place, all the things that were taking place to, to try to save this woman's life. And afterward, when, um, my family took me home and, um, and I was back in their care, I remember saying to, to my mom, you know, who was that woman? I'd never seen her before. And we lived in a small community. So I knew a lot of the people who were driving by that night. I knew the fire department, um, members and my mom just said, there, there wasn't anyone with you there. There wasn't anyone. And in the days that followed, she asked because she also wanted to thank this person that, that had cared for me. And everyone said there was no one I was sitting by myself. Mm -hmm. And so I think about that now and I'm so, um, in awe of the human capacity to care for ourselves in those moments when, when things are really hard and I clearly needed comfort and needed someone, something to just carry me through that moment as, as it could be done. Um, and so my mind, I guess, conjured this, this presence and in a way, um, it was my first experience of mothering myself and I've had more experiences of those since, but I think that was, that was my first experience of that and knowing that there is something greater, whether it's outside ourselves or inside ourselves or something looking out, and, and helping us through those really challenging times.
0: Oh, wow. When your mom said there was no one there, what, what was the first thing that you thought?
1: I think I was in disbelief because this presence was so real for me. Like even now telling you about it, I'm picturing mm. a person, you know, I can, I can feel that blanket. I can picture this person beside me, her arm around me. And so I just, I think, assumed she was mistaken, you know, and she would, she would hear eventually someone would say like, oh, that was so-and-so. But I think there was also a part of me that also knew that it was true. Like, it feels, it feels to me even remembering it now so many years ago, I think I still had that feeling of kind of goosebumps and just like, wow, wow. Isn't it
0: incredible that the most significant thing about that moment was the feeling and Mm it wasn't really whether she was there or not it was how you felt and how it made you feel and it's I just find that's why I find these moments of tenderness so profound because it's not actually always what happens it's what it does to us and I love talking about them because they they're so important and the moment you just shared is really incredible because those those moments of tenderness that we have towards ourselves are almost as important or if not more important than the ones that we have with other people and I think that knowing that you can mother yourself and be there for yourself it's not something that is always easy to learn but Mm -mm. once you do it's like an enormous relief and Mm -hmm. amazing to know that you can always do that for yourself
1: I agree I think on the one hand it might feel sad you know, if a person needs to do that for themselves, but then when you come around to, like you said, the realization that the capacity is there and you mm. have it in your back pocket mm. when you need it. Mm. And, you know, something else that you just said was really struck me about the feeling that remained. And I've been thinking a lot about that lately about how, as time progresses in any kind of traumatic situation or wonderful situation, at some point, the facts kind of start to evaporate and it is the feeling that remains.
0: Absolutely.
1: And you've had
0: all the feelings. It seems like since you had your cancer diagnosis in 2012, Uh, your life, must've just changed dramatically at that point. You were just 35 at the time and it must've been incredibly difficult. Can you tell us about that time?
1: Yes, absolutely. And you're right. It was a life-changing, um, time, a very difficult time. I was 35, as you said, and I had, um, recently had my daughter and just, um, the, the whiplash of going from this feeling of, a a, you know, a wonderful change in life to becoming a mother. I felt that, um, my body kind of made sense for the first time, you know, my curves, my Mm. breasts, like all these things that had in a way been hard to come to terms with my whole life. Um, all of a sudden kind of clicked into place. I was able to nurture this child and, um, and my body was just doing amazing things and I felt connection to it in ways that I hadn't before. And then this diagnosis came, and I actually found my lump one night while breastfeeding. And um, it, you know, that night after after I put my daughter down, I went into my bedroom and had my husband feel the lump. And I was, you know, asking him, Can you do you feel this too? And I will never forget the blood just draining from his face. And he said, what, what is that? Like, that wasn't there before. And I feel like that really kind of crystallizes what was to come, you know, of this big change and the feeling that something had arrived into our relationship, into our house, that was out of our control. And I felt huge amounts of guilt for being the one who had brought that into our family. And I was for the first time in my life, feeling that maternal fierce, protective, you know, feeling, and then to also have been the one in a way who was um, disrupting all of that. I was going to be the reason that I would have to be away from my child and I was going to have to wean her because I needed to start chemo. Um, that was, it was truly devastating. Oh my gosh. Just,
0: just the weight of all of that. I can just feel it. It's, oh. Amazing that you have grown so much from all of it though that's something that I really really get from your journey. So you were diagnosed with early stage breast cancer and you went through 13 months of treatment that was successful. Mm
1: That's right. I this, so this was 10 years ago. Now for me, my cancer was stage 3C, um HER2 positive. So for anyone listening who knows breast cancer types, you know that's an aggressive type, a fast-growing type, and in my case, fortunately also fast dying. The chemo that I had was able to um really eradicate it, and I'm very happy um with the response that my body had to that and then I also had a mastectomy a unilateral mastectomy I had my left breast removed and went through radiation and then um more treatment for the HER2 type cancer that I had but your
0: emotional journey it didn't end there did it because I I read you said that you felt that cancer would destroy you in a thousand ways what what would you say about that (laughs) now
1: You know, my biggest fear was that it was going to destroy my relationship with my child. That for me was my biggest worry. At that point, my husband and I had been together for a long time. Um, Going back to my moment of tenderness, he and I had just started dating um, when I was 17. So, around the time that that happened. So, by the time I was 35 and cancer had come along, he and I had been together for a long time. And so, I didn't really worry that, that he and I couldn't weather this. He'd been through so much with me, but I had this brand new relationship and this brand new connection that I was desperate to hold. And I worried that cancer would, um, it would drive a wedge because of just needing to be away from her, you know, for treatment and also the time that I needed at home to recover, but I also worried that it would um, take away some of her innocence. You know, she would grow up under this shadow of hardship and I couldn't picture what that would be like for her. But in the 10 years since I'm so, I, well, I will never say that, that cancer was a good thing and that I'm glad to have it, but I don't know what our relationship would be like had we not had it what I do know is we are tighter than ever. She is so proud of me and I'm so proud to be, um, you know, doing work in cancer to show her that you can take something really devastating and kind of turn it into a passion. And we don't know, you know, how life's going to turn out, but I'm showing her that you can just embrace what you're given and what you have today. And I'm really proud of that. And, and our connection through that. Mm.
0: That's amazing. I think one of the things I imagine that has made that possible is your honesty and your willingness to be really open about everything. And I think it's difficult, isn't it? I think there's that thing when you're a parent that you want to protect your child and it's hearing you talk about how you, know, you felt guilty when you had the diagnosis and worried how it would affect her you being away from her I can just so relate to that feeling because Phil feel, you know I have to be there and I have to be looking after them and I need to do this it's I you know it's what it is to be a mom but there's so many other narratives and you know just being honest and and just love you know that's <laughs> what that's what's really important and and obviously that's what's there and that's what's got you through Yeah. Yeah,
1: I was just, I was just thinking back when you were talking about honesty, about how important it was to my husband and I to tell her what was going on in, you know, age appropriate ways. But I think sometimes there's an instinct to try to shield children and cover up what's going on, but the truth is they are highly perceptive. They know when something's amiss in the house. I, I mean, I was changing physically before her eyes and, you know, like I said, I had to wean and everything, but there, there wasn't going to be a good way of, of just trying to pretend like she would know she would get that feeling. So Mm -hmm. yeah, from the very, very beginning, um, we just were very open and talked to her and, we didn't do it perfectly, you know, we made mistakes along the way, but I think going into it with the goal of being as transparent as possible to not scare her, but to actually give her some, um, some power in knowledge, I think really kind of set the tone. And I mean, now even still, we're just open books, you know, with her about everything. So. Well, that's amazing.
0: That's fantastic. And you've recently had your 10 year anniversary, 10 years since you were diagnosed with cancer. And I really love how honest you've been about the confusing and complex mix of feelings that it has been stirred up in you. And I think when we go through really difficult periods in our life, there's a tendency to want to sort of put it behind us or for people to say, oh, that's behind you now, that's over. Is a fresh, you know, a blank page and starts again, but actually the real growth happens when we allow ourselves to really feel all of it and sit with it. What's it felt like for you, that sort of growth? Because it's, it's really clear.
1: Yeah, I, to be honest, was really surprised at how much grief this anniversary brought up for me you know, when you're not, um, necessarily inside the cancer community, when you're just, um, aware of cancer, you know, through media or through friends and whatnot, you tend to think of these milestones, you know, five years, 10 years, et cetera, as just being more and more of a, um, um, like a confirmation that you're good, you're good to go. Mm -hmm. But once you're in cancer land, you realize that there is no guarantee. And in some ways it feels like the the clock is ticking you know until that cancer comes back and that's the the scary thing that once you are in the glare of an illness that you can't escape from it's always there mm-hmm. and it can be really lonely because friends and family feel so celebratory for you but you it's hard to celebrate with them knowing what, you know, and also having lost as many people as, as we lose, I have stayed, made a choice to stay in cancer with my work and friendships. And so these 10 years also represent so much loss. And so when my anniversary came around, I realized I really needed to sit with all of those different feelings first. And then I'm happy to say I did get to a place of celebration. My family was so wonderful in giving me the space to feel all of those things. And then we're kind of waiting in the wings with the cake and the candles when, when I was ready. And I'm so glad too, that I reached a place of being able to say, yeah, I am really happy. I've, I've lived 10 years since that day, I got that terrible news. And, um, yeah, it's just a big mix. I think I want to back up and say too that part of part of the heaviness for me of this year is that when I was a kid my grandmother had breast cancer and I saw it return for her after 10 years and after everyone thought she was good, you know, good to go. And so I think in the back of my mind, just like before I had breast cancer, in the back of my mind, I kind of wondered if it would come for me because of having watched it, you know, there. Again, I wonder, okay, will her story be my story? Will I also have a 10 year recurrence? And I think part of the growth you talked about is realizing that those stories aren't our stories. We have our own stories that will play out. We don't know how, but we have to separate from thinking I'm walking in the same path you know it's a foregone conclusion but it's not we have our own stories and accept that we might sometimes go there
0: and have that fear and that it's natural that we would and and it's okay you know it might be our story but it's normal that we might worry about that
1: yeah exactly exactly
0: there's an amazing Brene Brown quote that um I saw is it's really meaningful for you it's about pain pain isn't a detour pain is part of the main road Mm -hmm. and I wondered if is it fair to say that your experience of cancer has changed your relationship to pain and suffering
1: could you tell us about this yeah you know, it's so interesting because on the one hand, I'll say yes, because I think one of the biggest lessons I've learned from having a major illness and, um, and watching friends also ha- go through this illness, um, is this idea that if a problem can be solved with time or money, that it's not a, really a problem, it's just a challenge And that for me has really re, um, re kind of calibrate some, some anxiety in my brain. And, you know, those late night worries, I tend to think like, okay, this is just something that that I need to devote, you know, some time or money to this isn't on the scale of, you know, a major diagnosis or even a death. I can, we can do this. We can figure it out. It's not going to be easy, but we can figure it out. So that lesson was really powerful for me. Um, but the other part of that, that, you know, pain is part of the, the journey, I think I haven't, I didn't learn that until more recently because of what we talked about before, where friends and family feel so celebratory as you move through a cancer experience. So I was told that my experience would just be a little detour. You know, it would just be a little bump in the, in the road. And then I'd be right back to the person that I was before. And it took a long time for me to feel normal with the fact that it wasn't that for me. I didn't go right back to the person that I was before. Everything changed. My work changed. My relationship with my body changed. My marriage was affected by um, my cancer. Like I said, my relationship with my child, everything was different. Mm -hmm. And so I really feel that I wish I would have learned the lesson then that it was, there are no detours. This is the path, you know, we have our ups and our downs and our good and our bad, and it's just the path that we're on and it's just our life. And so I think I wish I would have spent less time beating myself up and trying to get back to normal. I wish I could have just recognized this is normal. This is, this is the path.
0: Mm. Yeah, I suppose even that is part of the of the learning, and then maybe the understanding of it is deeper for having gone through that or struggled to understand mm-hmm. it now. Um, but yes. you, you took that, um, that sort of energy and you started this amazing magazine, Wildfire Magazine, which features the stories of young women who have either gone through the cancer journey or who are going through it at the moment. And you wanted to, I presume, surround yourself with a community of people who've gone through the same thing as you. Um, But to go back to something you mentioned before, I think it must take a lot of courage to stay, to use a a term that you used um, in Cancerland, enmeshed in these painful and difficult stories. And I'm wondering about what is it that motivates you to
1: stay Yeah, I think that's, um, a question that everyone has to ask for themselves. And I've definitely met a lot of people who go through their cancer year of treatment or, um, you know, whether they're stage four and are in treatment for, for the duration and who choose not to, you know, make their, um, their social life, their work life, all of it about cancer. And I, um, just kudos to them for that. For me, I really felt lost in the years following my um, diagnosis and end of treatment, especially because I didn't know anyone else who was in the same stage of life as I was, you know, with a young child, um, with a career that was still trying to get going with money that was affected by cancer. You know, I didn't have a huge savings, um, for something like a huge diagnosis going through Menopause at 35. So like you said, I really needed to see and hear the stories of other people experiencing what I was so that I would know. I, I was constantly asking that question. Am I normal? You know, is this right? Am I supposed to be dealing with this? So I started the magazine because I wasn't finding those stories and seeing those people. And then once I got the taste of what it's like to have a young breast cancer community, I couldn't possibly imagine not having it. I mean, these people know the ins, the outs, the ups, the downs, they just, they understand it in a way that my, um, my best friends who haven't had breast cancer don't fully understand, you know, even having watched me so closely go through it, it's different when someone else has been through it too. Mm -hmm. But it is a question, um, that decision to stay in cancer land is one that, that I think, I have to ask myself a lot because I think it takes, it takes a lot it, the, the staying present and being in a, in a community where death is such a presence, it is a decision that has to be made again and again and again. And fortunately I've been able to say yes. Every time I've asked myself that question, every time my therapist asks me, are you sure about this? Um, Yeah. For now it feels like the most healing the most powerful thing that I can do it gives me the foundation I need
0: mm. yeah you're getting that like deep I need to still be here mm-hmm. so it's it's the right thing um, some of the stories that you have shared I mean they're quite weighty I mean they're on topics like divorce whilst living through cancer sex after cancer infertility Talking to children about cancer and death, and I wondered if there were any stories in particular that have really made an impact on you, and if you could talk about them.
1: Mm. You know, it's funny. Um, I see myself in so many of the stories, and that's that's kind of the the purpose. Is I think that we all have. Both we have really individual stories and we have universal stories and there's this huge, just mix. I picture it like watercolors, you know, on a paper, there's just this, there's no real boundaries there. And so even when I'm reading a story of someone, um, you know, who say mate, perhaps has had divorce through their breast cancer and I haven't, I can still see the struggle. I can see in my own relationship, those difficult pain points and see myself. And I'm grateful to, to see my experience there on the page. And I remember one of the first times that, um, it kind of took my breath away, seeing myself in someone else's story was, um, a woman who's become a friend now, um, wrote a story about sex, intimacy, relationships after cancer. And, she had this line in her story about giving her husband permission to go outside their marriage, to be satisfied um, sexually. And in her story that that didn't really pan out, but the reason it took my breath away is because I had been quote unquote, joking, not really to my husband, like, please just, I, I don't know what's wrong. My body's broken. I can't, you know, have intercourse. So maybe just stop off on the way home from work somewhere you know and, and he was like what no i'm not gonna do that well, but to hear a friend say the same exact thing yeah, that was like my deepest darkest fear right um but it's just that feeling of feeling normal like okay someone else knows exactly what this this particular pain is like that's that's the power of storytelling absolutely that makes me think of a couple of things it makes me think of the
0: power of the concept of common humanity and just that you know that how soothing it is to keep remembering that we all have these shared universal experiences of being human and yeah sometimes you have to go and and look for more specific experiences if you've had Something really traumatic happened to you, as you have. Um, but then also there's just all the, you know, the day-to-day experiences that sometimes we think it's only me. I'm the only one who, yeah. who would have had that thought. And it makes me think of the power of imagination. And I really believe that imagination is, is sort of like a salve for you know conflict and the tendency that we all have to judge which is like again a very human you know tendency yeah. but i think imagination is is a real real way of moving through that because when we can actually imagine other people's experiences and other people's lives and then see so much of it is like what we experience too then it's much easier to just feel empathy And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, remember that everyone's going through something, you know, at some point.
1: Yes, exactly. And to, I don't, you're just making me think of the fact too, that, you know, in every trauma we go through, whether it's cancer or not, there are these threads. That, that stem from other traumas that we've had, you know, you're never this blank slate coming to some new challenge. It's all the other things. Mm-hmm. And I think that too is what builds in empathy. So when we hear someone else going through something, maybe it reminds us of, uh, you know, in past experience that we also have had, or the experience of a friend or someone else. And it just, um, it bridges those distances between us. Absolutely. And that's such an important
0: thing that you just said about, you know, other experiences and traumas that we've had in our life, because sometimes there's a tendency to say, um, oh, you know, um, that thing that that they that they went through, I wonder why, you know, it affected them so badly. Or I wonder why, (laughs) you know, they, they took 10 years to grieve that you know that relationship or that person that they lost and I think ultimately it's really important to remember that it's not actually what happened but how it felt to the person Yes, and everyone feels things differently and and again I think sometimes it takes imagination to really remember that and to kind of imagine other people's lives and how complex they are and how many parts they have to them it's very easy to simplify or to think everyone's experience is the same as ours and and it, it
1: never right. ever is. <laughs> even though no. there's a common thread it, it's different yes and I think there's also a tendency on it on the flip side to feel that you aren't allowed to feel your feelings as strongly as they're coming across, because maybe you think your experience isn't as hard as someone else's. I see this in the cancer community too, where there's a comparison of like, well, you know, her cancer is stage four, my cancer is stage three. So, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe I, sh- I should be having an easier time of this, or, you know, maybe it's not real enough to be feeling the feelings I'm having or to be sharing my story. And I should just let someone else who has, you know, the harder version that somehow those are the only stories that we need, but The truth is that everyone's experience is valid and, you know, a stage one cancer diagnosis can be just as devastating as a stage three, you know, and like you just said, and, and I guess I said before that, that it's what you bring to the table, you know, all the other experiences are there. Um, and so I just, I guess I just wanted to say that everyone's experience is important and valid and there's no, um, there's no prizes given for, for being the the one going through it the hardest it's all hard of course um
0: and I think what you said about sort of guilt and comparison is really interesting in relation to diagnosis um our lovely producer for the podcast Aisha so she was diagnosed with breast cancer at 29 really young as well and you know obviously it's brilliant she's now fully recovered but she talks about um, how surviving for her feels random, and how confusing it can sometimes be when she looks at other women who appear to be just like her, but they don't have the chance to continue living. Yes. And um, some of the stories that you share in the magazine, particularly the ones written by women who know that they're at the end of their life, they're really moving and can be quite difficult to read and. I I wondered if there was something there about reminding ourselves of how fragile and temporary life is. I wondered if, if there was something in that, um, if that was part of the reason why you feel it's really important to keep sharing these stories um, and these experiences.
1: Definitely, definitely. I think... So I'm thinking, um, for some reason, instantly popped into my head, um, that I just had a birthday, my birthday and my cancer anniversary are very close together. And so I've been thinking about birthdays. My daughter's birthday is tomorrow and realizing that I have very little patience for people who hate their birthdays and i think that it's things it's a cancer experience that shines a light on like you said the impermanence of life and how what a gift it is to get to celebrate something like a birthday and having you know lived another year and um, there are so many little moments like that I do want to say that having a cancer diagnosis doesn't instantly give you some kind of like Zen level wisdom of how the world works. And you're instantly like super passionate and super compassionate and super, you know, all the supers, but (laughs) it does give you this view of the stuff that even though everyone knows on a certain level that they are mortal. A cancer diagnosis puts it right in your face Mm -hmm. and it can be really hard to see others taking it for granted. And so one of the things I wanted with wildfire was to give people space to express these lessons that they learned like you said so that others may appreciate them more or even if it's just friends and family of the person who's writing the story can just understand where they're coming from on um on a deeper level and maybe maybe their life will be changed from that experience too Mm.
0: absolutely and um It makes me think of a quote that you, another quote that you shared, you're you're very good with quotes, (laughs) I found, looking at your Instagram account. I love Uh, them. (laughs) um, Audre Lorde, um, amazing Mm. um, feminist, black feminist um, writer and activist, and she said, we must become visible to one another. And that really comes through, I think, in everything you do. And there's so much authenticity in what you share. There's images of your post-mastectomy body. Mm -hmm. And the way you talk about your experience of cancer, even when it's over, it isn't over. You know, I I think it's, it's really powerful to show up With so much authenticity and I think it's I I imagine it's very empowering for you and it's very empowering to witness um why you know why is is that important to you showing up in that way
1: it's It's something that I think I've been learning all these years of working um, in wildfire, you know, before wildfire, I was a writer and did my own introspective work and being vulnerable and writing my truth was just something that came very nappy to me, almost, almost like You know, why do you breathe or why do you drink water? It's just something I had to do to survive. But since I started Wildfire, I've realized that it doesn't come naturally for everyone. And so I've started helping people pull these stories out and find those depths of vulnerability and experience how truly healing it can be to share on that level. First of all, though, they have to be willing to see themselves on that level. And we put up so many barriers to even knowing our own thoughts and our our own feelings. And so through writing, I feel that you get this view into yourself that is really only had through maybe dreaming. We, we can't even do it just talking right now. There's something so different about putting pen to paper. And so many wonderful researchers have been exploring this, um, I'm thinking of James Pennebaker and his work into um, expressive writing, mm-hmm. but I really experienced it myself and sitting in community, in my writing workshops with women who are slowly over our weeks together, there are six week sessions, you know, gathering the courage and gathering the strength. And when they finally do become vulnerable and read something they wrote to this group, you can see how powerful That visibility is not just because of others seeing their own stories reflected back in this woman's story, but for herself in seeing herself set down armor and set down hardness and become soft. And as Brene Brown says, it's that softness that makes us actually resilient prior to that. When you're so um, rigid, you're so holding it together so strongly, you're actually quite brittle and fragile. And so it's that deep vulnerability that lets us actually become more resilient, more pliable to life's, you know, changes.
0: Yeah. I would define that as tenderness as well. Yes. It yes. Yeah. It's like that place, that tender spot in your heart that you you're, you're willing to go there and actually, you know, go to that tender place and, and be, present and 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 allow those difficult feelings and feel them and and just open up to to all of it but it it's um I think it it feels very frightening to allow that but actually I think once you allow it it's not as overwhelming and scary as as it might feel that it could be
1: no it actually can become kind of addictive, I think, to, to experience it because you realize how, um, how held you are. I mean, I think it, there's something to be said about doing it in a safe place. You maybe don't want to become super vulnerable to the checker at the grocery store or something like that. But when you pick your audience and you tell your stories in a place where people can see you and hear you and receive it, there's nothing like it. And it's hard to go back from, I mean, then you know like, oh, living living an authentic life feels so much better than trying to um, put on a brave face all the time. That's so tiring and so mm-hmm. heavy. It mm-hmm. makes me think of another quote and I'm struggling to remember who said it, but it's this willingness to break your heart over and over and over again until you break wide open mm. And then in that openness, so much good can come in and your life becomes actually fuller.
0: Mm amazing um there's a, a a woman in in the uk um I, I don't know if if you're aware of her um called deborah james and um she is known on instagram as bowel bay, and there's been uh, she's actually been um, in the press a, a lot particularly very recently um so she's 40 and she has terminal bowel cancer And um, she's just been made uh, actually a dame by um, Prince Mm. William because she's been doing so much work to raise awareness of um, being diagnosed young um, with bowel cancer. And she's actually, you know, just like so many people like you, all these people showing up um, authentically and, and just just being really honest. I think about things that were in the shadows, things that were concealed and hidden away, you know, like what it actually feels like to have cancer treatment. You know, she posts pictures of herself having chemo and, you know, really openly talking about what it feels like and how you know she had to stay in bed for a few days because her body felt so weak and then she will show up you know radiating with joy and um there's there's actually another amazing um woman called Emma Campbell and and she's also had a, a really grueling um cancer journey and she's got four children uh, one of the things that comes through actually is is humor um mm. in both of them and it's it's really quite startling, and I've been thinking about it a lot and actually read something that Emma Campbell said about how before her diagnosis when her children were really young, she used to be a very serious person, and she said that she um, her children even used to say, well, Mommy, why don't you laugh? And <laughs> she says she can hardly believe it because now she's just laughing all the time, and that's not too you know, to sort of make light of, of what her life is now and, and what she's gone through. But she said that she leans towards lightness these days. And she talks about a dark humor as well in some of the things that she's gone through. She sort of says it's it's actually just like ridiculous, you know, like her husband find, saying he finds her sexy in her compression stockings. And you know, some of it is just like, I suppose it's a coping mechanism, but there's also something about when you're pushed to the brink, it's like you get this perspective and you're grateful and you can just find a lightness in, in all of it. I think that's sort of what you were saying about birthdays and and milestones. Um,
1: Mm -hmm. How, how has has that played out for you? This thing of humor? Oh, absolutely. I'm a huge fan of dark humor. (laughs) Um, I think, you know, like you said, I think there's a coping mechanism in there, but I think too, is the fact that when you're living with illness or living with the awareness of illness that you have to develop these ways to continue living. It's not, good enough to simply survive. You have to find a way to live. And I think humor is so much the ingredients of, of truly living. And so you, especially if you already have a a tendency toward dark humor, you just start to see the ridiculous in this life that is yours now. And, and, and it's like, how did you get here and how is this normal? And so I love it when people bring the dark humor and point out the, the, the absurd, the weird, the, um, charming, I love compression stocking sexiness. Like I'm here for that. Like this is because it's not, um, you shouldn't have to give up on on those kinds of parts of life, just because illness is here and part of the story too. It's like what we talked about. It's not a detour. This is your life. So yeah, exactly. Right. And the humor helps so much to make it not feel like you're holding your breath and waiting to go back to joy. Joy can be here too. And joy is here too. Mm.
0: Yeah. And I suppose it's like that maybe there's that story that, you know, this is, this is like really shitty. This is like a really bad thing that's happening to me. So I can't, I can't laugh. I can't smile. Like I can't bring the humor into it, but that's not, that's just, that's a story. And that's actually not helpful or true.
1: No, I mean, it's kind of like, um, After you have a cancer diagnosis saying that you, um, you're never gonna have sugar ever, ever again, or you're never gonna, um, I don't know all the things that are human that we do, there's no way that you're just going to never laugh again or never, you know, take some kind of frivolous vacation again, or buy the handbag or whatever, whatever it is for you this is still this is still your life this is still here and you deserve all of it all of it including the good stuff yeah
0: I love that yeah it's all of it isn't it that's what it is that's what life is and yes you, you know that you know that more than anyone I think um so coming to the end now of the interview and and there's a question that I always um, ask at the end because the idea behind the tenderness revolution it's that having this quality of tenderness for ourselves and others um, is made up from these three C's because they enable us to fully see the truth about the way things are. And that's courage, curiosity, and compassion. And I wanted to ask you if you had to choose one of these qualities that means the most to you in your life, what would you choose and
1: why? I love all three of them. That's a really hard question. I think for me though, it would probably be curiosity because I think that with curiosity, the others come more naturally for me. So curiosity about myself, my experiences, as well as the experiences of others, you know, building in that empathy that you were talking about. Um, but also curiosity feels playful and, I think that can be an ingredient that goes missing when cancer comes into the picture. And, um, I just want more of it. I want more play in all aspects of my life. And it starts, I think it starts with curiosity. Mm. It's, it's like the
0: essence of aliveness. It's like, I think it's so easy to forget that as we, become adults you know that our our natural curiosity which I think we we it's always there but it's like so many things we just forget about it and we forget that it's there but it it is and it's so life-giving and life-enhancing and it's like a doorway isn't it into real kind of fulfilled way of being so yes
1: yeah. I think it reminds us too, not to take ourselves so seriously or that you need to know everything. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the antithesis of curiosity is to already know it all. Yeah. Um, it, May I give um, a writing prompt? I just, um, I like to give writing prompts to my community and I'm just thinking of yeah. one. May I share it with you? Yeah. I was just thinking, um, and I was doing this with my workshoppers this week, but just this idea of if it didn't have to be perfect, what would I try? And I think that brings in that, um, that playful, you know, attitude, and it helps us to set, set aside that need to be perfect in everything. And so much in cancer is about having to re learn, you know, how to dress yourself, how to engage with friends and family, how to even have intercourse, like I said. And so if it didn't have to be perfect, what would I try? Mm, I love that.
0: And I think that's just like a a question we could all ask ourselves, you know, in life. And um, it helps you venture outside your comfort zone. And I think that's a really important thing to try and do. So.
1: For sure. Yes. I mean, imagine if we lived each day thinking like, how will I play today? How will I feel alive today? What do I need? Uh, yeah. Need Breaking wide alive. open.
0: Yeah. Feel alive and feel good, which is yeah, really important. And actually I think it, there's almost some guilt in a lot of women in wanting to feel good, but I actually believe it's kind of underneath everything good that comes, all the really good creative stuff. I think it comes out of a, of a, of a good feeling and allowing yourself yeah. to feel good is, is like, is a really important starting point. So be curious. And- I, <laughs>
1: yes, I think so. I think you're exactly right too, because it's hard to be vulnerable in all the things we talked about today, if at the core you don't feel comfortable or you don't feel good and so yeah there's that self-care component too for sure yeah there is oh wow thank you so much for
0: for talking with me today I've enjoyed it so much and I really I feel I'm really grateful to have had this opportunity and to have heard about your journey I'm sure it's going to really really be helpful for so many of our listeners
1: so thank you thank you this has been such a wonderful conversation thank you thanks april
0: thank you for listening to this episode of the tenderness revolution i hope you come back for more because my aim with this podcast is to help us become more aware of these moments of kindness and compassion and how they shape our lives and enable us to feel more connected to the world around us Thank you for listening to this episode of the tenderness revolution i hope you come back for more because my aim with this podcast is to help us become more aware of these moments of kindness and compassion and how they shape our lives and enable us to feel more connected to the world around us